Hi, welcome to the Penis Project podcast. This is the place to come to find out everything you've always wanted to know about men's health but were too embarrassed to ask. Join physiotherapist Dr. Joe Milios and sexologist nurse practitioner Melissa Hadley-Barrett as they talk to real men and the experts about men's private parts. Have a burning question you really want to know the answer to? Please subscribe to our website at thepenisproject.org and just ask us. While the greater the strength, the more time I've got for you. There's too much talking, texting, tweeting, posting. Too much noise altogether. In silence is strength and peace and space. Imagine silence forever. The Penis Project podcast is proudly supported and sponsored by PROST, Exercise for Prostate Cancer, and the RS Health Penile Rehabilitation Program. PROST is a not-for-profit charity set up by myself in 2012 that aims to help men exercise during their experience with prostate cancer. If you want to know anything more about PROST, including our online service and USB product now available, please just go to prost.com.au. The Penile Rehabilitation Program was created by Melissa at Restorative Sexual Health. This is an online program to assist turning software into hardware without leaving your home. This program was designed for people who live in areas where access to health professionals in this area is not available, or for those who are just too busy to attend consults, or even for those who just feel more comfortable learning at home with online learning and consultations online. For more information about this program, please go to www.rshealth.com.au. Prost means cheers to your health, so prost to you. November 11th. 11 a.m. 60 seconds kids watch on the wall in the pub in the tab in the cars we remember and wonder welcome to the penis project podcast today we're going to speak to ron who many of you may remember back at episode 24 when he generously shared his story of fighting the black dog at this time he talked about three boxes he wanted to tick one was get rid of cancer two was to be continent and three was to address his sexual function This time he's going to um, share with us his way back to sexual function because he's already ticked off one and two and it seems now he may have ticked off three as well. We're very excited to speak with Ron today who had his prostatectomy in 2018. Welcome Ron, how are you today? Yeah, very good, thank you. Very good, thank you, Melissa and Joe. Hey Jojo, how are you? Have you had a good weekend? Ah, yep, pretty pretty casual actually watching the uh, footy teams Get back, back into round yeah. one. Yeah. <laughs> uh, is, is, are you an Eagles supporter or a Dockers supporter? Definitely not an Eagles supporter. Ah. Sorry, eh? <laughs> but Fremantle Dockers. Well. And they won, hey? So you're happy. They won by one point. Excellent. Just. Okie dokie. A win's a win. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, Ron, first question is, give us a brief outline of when your prostate cancer journey started and, like, when, like, when you thought you first started worrying about your sexual function and what did you do about it? (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Um, The prostate journey started on, uh, well, just before the 26th of February 2018, which is when I headed off to the MRI and subsequent biopsy, which you know that um, there was some serious homework to be done. And at that time, very naive in terms of the consequences of uh, prostate surgery. The surgery was on the 28th of the 3rd, 2018, and, um, yeah, you just followed the, the doctor's instructions at that time. We did what we had to do. And it wasn't until um, 
really in the April when I first met you, Melissa, that uh, you think this is this is not what I thought it was going to be, if you like. That most surgeries, uh, you know, the scars recover you, um, you recover your function and things like that. But with prostate surgery, there are things that last a hell of a lot longer. So, you know, and I can remember saying to you back then that, you know, the first three goals were cancer, well, tick the box, it's gone. And fortunately, since then, all of the PSAs have been not detectable. Um, so I just thank my lucky stars for that. The second was the continence, and it's one that you sort of took for granted as um, anybody that's, any guys that have had the surgery out there know there's nothing worse than leaking down your leg. Um, and doing the, the pelvic floor exercises had two effects on me. While the continence or the incontinence improved, it didn't solve it, I mean, to the point of none where it was like it was before the surgery. Um, and secondly, it, it messes around with your headspace because um, doing the, the, prost the, the pelvic floor exercises three times a day, um, day after day, and, and not getting those ongoing, you know, the, the closed tap results that you wanted, well, it's pretty much a piss off. And, it, and that's why I meant it. <laughs> Literally, it's, uh, isn't it? Virtually, yeah. yeah. Piss off in your um, pads. You know, you were past the pad stage, but you. Um, I think you call it the stress continence when you've got to hold yourself. So that was, um, you know, very, very hard and non-existent. As soon as you felt any stress, you were leaking. Um, strenuous exercises, things like that, lifting, sometimes going upstairs. And it wasn't a lot, but it was just enough to go, shit, you know, that's, um, that's wet. So that bothered me for a long time. And, uh, you know, episode 24-ish where, you know, it was a contributor to my time with the black dog then, but not the um, not the sole cause. So I um, I persevered until early last year with the pelvic floor exercises, but despair, if you like, was um, uh, I suppose what drove me to it. And I think even comments from uh, you know Joe on and off and listening to the podcast, just the occasional comment. And it's amazing how much the occasional comment sticks with you. You're right. Um, yoga. So I had tried yoga early in my prostate journey and I'm talking about 2018 towards the Christmas of 2018 and uh, went along for a, a beginner's session and a month session and I went there with my wife but she wasn't into it as much as, as uh, I wanted her to be. She um, has difficulty with balance and legs and movement and things like that so she wasn't comfortable. Christmas time come along and the subscription just sort of fell away and it never never went back. And then beginning of last year, um, wanting to do something else, I thought I've got nothing to lose by doing yoga on a more full-term uh, basis. So I went back to the same girl, Ange, down at Wise Moves in Falcon. And um, her dad, by the way, was uh, a prostate cancer victim, but very much in denial about um, recovery and the effect on him. I you know, didn't talk to anybody. So we compared notes. I've fed a lot of lots of information about it, Dad. But anyway, yoga three times a week, a mixture in styles of mostly hatha and yin for most of it. I also found uh, some of the relaxation uh, styles um, just great for mental health. Um, and then of the last two, two and a half months, I've got more into uh, Ashtanga, which is more active. And, Much more uh, physical. Physical, yeah. Mm. So and. Good. So I've I've enjoyed three elements of the um, of the yoga. One is 
I don't leak anymore and that's the most important. I can do almost, well, I can do anything, not almost anything. I can do anything and not be concerned about the leakage. There's no presence of mind beforehand to lock your pelvic floor up before you do something and it doesn't matter whether I'm lifting, steering, running, bike riding, whatever. It's, um, so that's great. So do you think the yoga, was there pelvic floor exercises within the yoga? Was that addressed during your yoga classes or...? Not specifically, but there's there's many references through the yoga narrative, if you like, yep. of mm-hmm. work on your pelvic floor, pull, pull your pelvic floor up. So you do it as a part of the yoga exercises. So the objective of the core muscles and the pelvic floor, I didn't really realise. I've never seen my pelvic floor in, in action. I've only ever felt it. And there was a night that um, you and Mia and some others had at the uh, City Beach Surf Club where I was the guinea pig with the ultrasound and I actually seen it happening. And then later on in conversation with Mia, um, you know, saying how did that compare with the general population? And she told me a story about two guys that, um, two of her patients that were there and they asked her if I was a plant just to show them up. <laughs> oh. uh, just, um, just for anyone listening, Mia Royce is a physiotherapist that works with Joe, who um, was did a presentation with me that night, mm. and um, it was interesting actually because most guys who have prostate cancer surgery would have like mm. a, 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 a physio like Joe do the ultrasound, but you'd never seen that before. No, so you, you didn't get a chance to have any physiotherapy working with your pelvic floor from no. the beginning. No? no, my my journey, if you like, with the pelvic floor exercises was. Um, uh, maybe a, a five minute with the um, the nurses at Hollywood Hospital. So right. This yep. is what you do. Yep. Um, looking around Google, mm-hmm. YouTube, and so the you like. So didn't get much direction with that at all. No. Okay, no. And that's, and really that's disappointing. And that's mm. where it. Uh, you know, I suppose I struggled with it a lot. Yeah. And when you go back to get your catheter taken out, um, Leslie, who was the the nurse that that took it out, she said, "Now show me your pelvic floor." And I did my best effort and she said, that's not a pelvic floor. You know, she could see everything <laughs> moving. Uh, yeah, yeah, keep yeah. practising. So um, I, that was, well, okay, I'm not, on, I'm not on song here. But also before the surgery, you, you were told to go away and do your pelvic floors, but I never knew what it was. Yeah. Okay. Mm. So, so I think that's the real big thing here for people listening mm. is make sure you see a physio who specialises in pelvic floor yeah. and has an ultrasound to show you if you're doing it right, wouldn't yeah. you say, Joe? Yeah, well, um, as we talked about, traditionally the test was to do the um, squeeze up the bottom of the anal sphincter to see how mm. strong things were. But I've always said that's kind of irrelevant to urinary leakage and an unnecessary test. So, you know, early on I've worked out that most guys leak when they're moving or when they're in those stress urinary um, situations, coughing, sneezing, bending, as you mentioned. Uh, so we, we like to be able to assess it in a functional position which is standing and that way you can actually feel the testes rise and fall you can actually see the pelvic floor lifting and letting go at the same time so that visual feedback's really um, helpful for guys so we know that if we actually get to do that before you even have the surgery before there's an injury or trauma to the area that's going to really help plant that correct mm. technique uh, and then you just don't put yourself through excessive stress and worry. That's when a no-brainer what you it. said, yeah, yeah, in hindsight. Yeah. Mm. So my, my learning with that came 
to do a pelvic floor by trying to cut off the pee when I was going to the toilet. Mm. Right? How do I do this? And trying to get those sensations. If I can cut off the pee while I'm peeing, well, I should be able to hold it back when I need to pee. Mm. But it, the muscle just doesn't develop strong so, enough. So there's actually three muscles and that's why if you develop just one, stopping the flow, mm. that sort of does the urinary sphincter. But there's this whole element of lifting and holding. That's an endurance muscle that needs the other two muscles the bulbocavernosus and the puborectalis to come in and help as well. So, and that's a part of the the lack of knowledge at the start. You know, mm. it's um, you know the best expression you've got, and I've um, I, I use it occasionally just to feel, if you like, is the nuts to guts. Mm. Yeah. Um, you know, if you lift your nuts to guts, you're doing all of that, and that's all that needs to be said at the start about the pelvic floor exercise. Mm not the rest of it that goes with it, if you like. That's and you can also check that visually yourself at home at any time in your privacy just by sending yeah. down the mirror. Do you ever do that? No. No. <laughs> well, hang on, hang on. Not at home so much, but I do find myself, you know, I, I, I pull the nuts to the guts just to feel that it, it's mm. all there. Yeah. And on that night when I seen this on, on um, the ultrasound, it was I kept on looking at the screen and, and, you know, nuts to guts. And it was like having a new toy. Was, wow, you know, that was... Uh, a visual, <laughs> it's like a visual reward, yeah. isn't yeah. it? So moving on from your continent, we got, you ended up dry and, we'll, you know, that was a combination, obviously, of getting your pelvic floor sorted and definitely yoga. And yoga was great for your mental health as well. So you felt like it was time to address this sexual function. Now, if I can just have a brief put in there that when I first met you and I talked about <laughs> sexual function, that was just like the worst thing you ever wanted to talk about, wasn't it? You're a very yep. private man, yep. which yep. is why I just think it's so brave of you to share this with us today because yep. like probably you're one of the most private men I ever met when it come to this area. And I think, wow, how amazing that now you're using your real name and talking on a podcast that <laughs> potentially 50,000 people will listen to about it. So mm. what, what, so in April 2021 I think it was or you um, thought about like you, you thought you might go and see Joe and try some shockwave so tell us about that. Okay. Well the why am I here talking about it now is because of go back to some of my comments about the pelvic floor um, a little bit of information and I mean just some one-liners that you've dropped in podcasts and things like that um, is, a, is a trigger to get you started. So if this conversation can be a trigger to get any other guy started to make their journey a little bit easier or shorter, go for it. Um, also, since we first met in that April back then, um, I've learnt to be able to talk about these things in a manner that you don't feel um, uh, improper. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and one of the things that I've always found difficult in, in dealing with this matter is that while we you know, predominantly women, there's only one guy in this mild treatment program and that's the urologist. Mm. Everybody else has been a woman. And they're dealing with that part of your health that um, it, every other part of your life, you've got to keep it covered, guarded, you don't speak about it. You know, it's only the, those people that you are close and intimate with that share those things with you. But here we are talking to strangers now about that part of your life. So the first bridge is crossing that one of respect and and respecting you firstly as women and secondly as professionals. And to deal with one, you've got to cross the other. Mm. Um, So it's your podcast helped with that in the early days. And you might remember when we first met, I walked out of your your office in in Hollywood there and saying, no, Melissa, this is not happening to me. (laughs) How often do I hear that? I know, me too. We're not not doing that. 
But I also think as well, I think you mentioned it once to me that the Me Too kind of thing didn't help, did it? Because no. you felt really... It, can you speak to that a little bit about how that Me Too kind of whole... Well, the whole, the whole Me Too stuff is about men having an unfair take, if you like, on women. It's not without their permission. Mm. And as much as you give permission, there's a lot of ingrained um, um, beliefs, values and things like that, things that you do naturally and things that you don't do naturally, things you have to work on. So the Me Too environment makes you more sensitive to that and, um, you know, to have the sorts of conversations that you and I have had, for instance, in any environment but your rooms, Mm. you'd go to jail. (laughs) Um, It's as simple as Mm, that. Uh, So there's a moral side to to that story. And and when I came to see you with the focal shockwave, you know, that was a very big swallow (laughs) for me. It's very... Very confronting. It's also confronting for me as well because I sort of um, never anticipated that as a physiotherapist I would be shocking men's penises mm. um, as a daily thing. And it, it, um, it's kind of shocking. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> I know uh, five or six years ago I went to a Prostate Cancer Foundation conference in Melbourne and there was a professor from um, Los Angeles there, Tom Liu, and his breakfast meeting was called Shocking the Penis. And, of course, it was a sellout because, you know, the title. And I went along and I thought, this is unbelievable. But he'd been working on chimpanzees to try and restore erectile function after um, taking out their prostates in a home laboratory full of chimpanzees. And he was just sharing his um, research over 20 years. And then, you know, blow me down. Five years later, I was literally doing that in the clinic with a handheld device. And uh, look... I always try and reassure guys that this is just another part of the anatomy and I spend my whole days working on feet, ankles, backs, whatever. So once you've been along once or twice and I did treatment once or twice, it sort of became like, you know, and, the norm. And, yeah. and I've got to say that you and Mia dealt with that very, very well. Um, yeah, they're just crossing that, stepping over the boundary to that door and I can remember saying on the first focal shockwave therapy it was... I'm just leaving my modesty here, Joe. Yeah, you did. Um, yeah. And uh, and being, you know, I suppose, strong enough to step across and place my trust in you that all of those things that um, may come to fruition in another world, another environment, just didn't and don't. And, yes, once we've got through the first one, then we know what the routine is. So the second one's easier and so on. I think also, like, from a health professional perspective, anyone listening, I think you get to a point where it seems very normal to us and Mm. so for me like I don't work in general practice anymore but I used to up until Christmas and if someone came in and said I've got a problem with my nose or my ear that has become more of a shock to me to be honest than (laughs) can you have a look at my penis because you and it's the same when I used to work as a midwife you know like it's you just don't even think about it anymore because it becomes a completely desensitized normal part of anatomy and I think it's probably important for us still to remember that it is might be for us, but it's so embarrassing for the person involved who's about to do And that. sit beside you know, another bit of background, and as you go to your GP, and very rarely is there any touching, you know, to, mm. to feel, I've got a lump here, mm. oh, let me feel. It's, that doesn't happen very rare. Well, yeah, it happens very rarely. Mm. Um, and we come to you, and, and one of the first touching experiences is when you stick a needle in my dick. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and then you come to, to Joe, and the, you've got your pants, the undies down around your ankles, and you go, mm, okay, so there's a paradigm shift there 
a little while ago you had a podcast with a lady and, and you were skirting around the issues of appropriateness and I thought at the time, and I think I, I might have sent you a message, there's more discussion around that within you know, this environment for people like me initially to be able to cross that line of what's proper, what's respect, what's professional and getting across. And like you say, you know, you deal with it all day, every day. It's familiar territory. It's not to me. It's, mm. uh, mm. So and I think also, you know, in my experience, I'm interested to hear your joke, but I can only think of in seven years of treating men like that of one instance where the man was inappropriate like rather than appropriate and I think usually men need more encouragement to tell more of the story so you can treat them better than less. How do you find that, Joe? I've just had a couple of incidents recently which have thrown me back a little bit and uh, this is because literally when you walk in to have the shockwave therapy, as um, Ron's just said, we get patients to lie down, they um, pull their jocks, I always say pull your jocks and jeans down to your knees and then I place a little... Um, disposable towel over the area and then we immediately start shocking the, the pelvic floor, the penis and that whole um, perineal area. So it is, you know, reasonably confronting. Um, I had someone say to me the other day, and he said it twice now, you should you should walk around with suspenders on oh, and no. have, um, you know, some dirty pictures up on the wall. And I thought about stopping the treatment and walking mm. out of the room. But then I reflected to Ros Thomas's book um, and we interviewed her, How to Shame the Devil. And I, I realised that potentially this man was feeling very threatened and uncomfortable and that he came from a completely different era. He was in his mid-70s. So I didn't say anything but I checked in with myself and went, he's not educated in this situation at the moment. My... My professional hat was just put on pretty tightly and I just carried on with the conversation about something. So it's really, really rare but it made me kind of shudder on the inside and I really was a little bit confused but then I just changed the topic and, you know, no more, no more was said about it. Um, so it's a tricky one mm. but I... Get pulled up all the time by my teenage children. Even last night I was watching the footy. I mentioned that someone had put on a bit of weight and looked a bit tubby and, um, you know, you, you've just got to be more aware of the appropriate language these days. But it's an education process for all of us. Mm. So, but, um, oh, sorry, Ron. Just yeah. finish yeah. off there. And, one, and the fear that sits in your mind when you're on the table and you're doing a therapy is that success is realised in front of you. The purpose is to be able to regenerate those things to, to cause and direction but my biggest fear would be to have an erection while the treatment's going on. Mm. Right? And, and that's where, you know, the conversations, the discussion with me or you at the time, it's just so distracting. It's not even presence of mind. It's not there. Um, that's good. And I think also remembering if you did get an erection in the middle of a treatment like that, that would be seen as a physical response rather than a physiological response, uh, rather than a, than psychological. a psychological response, yeah. would it, Joe? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and so I reassure guys and I say, look, sometimes the physical contact, especially even the ultrasound, that tends to be more um, provoking because it's, it's a sensory mild stimulation, hmm. um, which is a physical response. So it's completely indicating that you've got a healthy nervous system and a, and a healthy... Um, you know, 
penile blood flow so that it is not confirmation of anything more than things are working okay. Working, yeah. mm-hmm. um, and yes, that does occasionally happen, but but I again reassure guys if that is actually part of the um, treatment response that it's a very natural. This is what we were hoping for. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. yeah. So so yeah. So tell us how you went with it. What what happened next, Ron? Well, probably how you know the just the discussion about focal shockwave started and that's um some one-liners you've probably used in once or twice in a podcast um and i've gone what is this you know what is it and my wife was having and you know needed some physio so why don't you go to joe so i sat in on um, my wife's back treatment with joe and we had a conversation about focal shockwave what is it how does it work um when's too late so Joe suggested we have two sessions and see what happens after that. We did that and uh, there was nothing you could say made any difference whatsoever. Can I just butt in? I normally say we'll try six sessions, but I know you were super cautious, so yeah, I okay. thought two might be enough for you just to get comfortable or not with the situation. <laughs> yeah, well, it, um, but it also, you know, as a message, if something was going to happen, it was going to start to happen. I, you know, I couldn't say I felt anything. Um, and then combined with that... Part of the reason for my wife's um, back problem was we had an off on the freeway roughly 12 months beforehand. Out of that, she when learnt... Wait a minute. When he says an off on the freeway, he drove his Cobra. No. He was, he what was, is it? He was, he was pushed off the road. Oh, sorry. Uh, in, the the in Cobra was pushed off the road at high speed. Into 100 the... kilometres an hour. We ended up uh, going backwards <laughs> um, into the scrub in between the north and the south south line. Yeah, so it wasn't just an off the freeway. It was a little bit of a... Of a, of a large yeah. thing. Yes, okay, keep going. All right, so my <laughs> wife got hit with a couple of uh, branches and um, we ended up in Peel Hospital. They did some scans and said, there's no evidence of bleeding, but you need to get this thing checked out. And that was of the head. Turned out to be a meningioma, which we watched for 12 months. And then um, in around uh, June, July of, of last year, decided that it was time for it to be removed. It was just nagging at her all the time sitting there. So she went in and had it removed and um, yeah, it's a fair sort of a convalescing period after somebody's taken a chunk of out of your head and removed something that was in there. Um, so recovery with, with Nola was quite slow and obviously there was no pressure from um, an intimacy point of view to, to do anything. Um, so everything was on the back burner, everything very relaxed. Um, the focal shockwave hadn't worked. Um, but then... After about two months, two and a half months or so, we uh, we started getting out on uh, and just going out for lunches and that. And around that time, you know, night times, I'd start to feel that things were happening that hadn't been happening before. That uh, you know, the um, you could ha- get an erection if you like, unassisted erection. So this is like three years after your surgery. Yeah. yeah. So this was August 2021, wasn't it? Yeah. We're calling it the Big Bang. The wow moment. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Go. <laughs> <laughs> Um, and, uh, you know, coming home from one lunch, I said, look, Denola, this is what's happening to me. You know, what do you reckon? So we thought, well, take out all stops and uh, I took an extra Tadatafil, took a, a Viagra and then we made the moment that night happen. So the first time in um, three and a half years for unassisted lovemaking, yes, it occurred. It's our wow moment. And that were all of those things that you were hoping for. So then... With, no, with, with my wife continuing the therapy with Joe, um, 
I, that opened the door to have a conversation with Joe about, hey, this has happened. Is it worthwhile doing the six sessions? So we then embarked on the six sessions, which finished just before Christmas. And um, and I'd say, look, it, it's the results are yeah, they're good because the you know, just to be able to make love like you used to without preparation is um, is very there. Yeah, yeah, it is pleasant. Mm-hmm. Um, in terms of the the hit ratio, if you like, <laughs> of how often do we, can we have unassisted lovemaking versus assisted? Um, I keep a, a track record. It might sound perverse that um, you know I keep a record of what happens, but no, not perverse at all. That's a like a scientific experiment, all of your own, mm. like with objective outcomes and yeah, <laughs> it is measuring. So, so yeah. it's a log, and I follow the principle: if you can't measure it, you can't improve it. So, um, as I in preparation for the podcast, I look back from you know the our our events, if you like, our wow moments since that time, and the hit rates about sixty five percent. So Can I just interrupt there? You know, to be fair, most men your age, their hit rate would be about that as well, you know. So, you know, it's not necessarily just about the, you know, it sounds like you've actually made amazing recovery and this shockwave's obviously helped you. And, you know, if you were had not had prostate treatment, a man your age might only have a hit rate of that anyway. Can we define hit rate? <laughs> hit rate, okay. Um Let's say out of every uh, ten attempts at making love spontaneously, you succeed six and a half times. And what succeed for you? Um, not using Viagra, not using Spedra, not using a needle. And having a quality erection? Well, that, well I was going to discuss that next. So <laughs> have, having an erection that's sufficient for penetration yep. and, and enjoyment. So there's a degree between what Melissa in the past with one of her podcast E's has called a stuffy. Well, it's not a stuffy. It's it's um, it works, uh, but if you compare it, for instance, to the needle, the needle will give you a better quality yep. erection where it's it's firmer, harder, fuller. The Spedra and the Viagra seem to have no effect on me whatsoever. Um, mm-hmm. You know, it might not even psychologically, so you can take it, um, but I can't notice any difference in the erection with or without Viagra or Spedra. Only difference is whether it's is uh, one kind of thing I've got to come back to. Um, if it's unassisted, it's um, it, it'll come up and it's ready. And if you don't use it within a, a quite a short window, it goes away and it won't recover. Nothing wrong with a quickie. <laughs> well, that's that's <laughs> what we've learnt to be able to use. Um, and then if you're still in the moment and it, it has wandered away, it's uh, it's gone asleep. Well, that's when yeah, needle time, and you'll wander out and finish off with a needle, and that's beneficial because you haven't had that Viagra or Spedra beforehand to complicate the use of the, the needle. Yes, yeah, because yeah. you can't use the needle within 24 hours of having the Viagra mm. or the Spedra. And also, can I just interject there, if you're with a woman who is menopausal, uh, perimenopausal or postmenopausal, having a slightly softer erection is not a bad thing because a very hard penis can be quite painful on a on an ageing vagina. So, you know, often I'll see couples and they'll say, look, if we use X dose of the needle, we get a 10 out of 10 erection, but we'd actually rather just get an 8 because mm. it's more comfortable for my female partner. So yeah. that, that might be a bonus. And I, yeah, look, I understand that. Um, so it's, uh, yeah, it, we know what's happening now. We've learnt about mm. what, when and how to, to use it. Um, and, you know, in the early days of the unassisted, uh, lube was a secret. That 
as much as um, the arousal might be there on my wife's behalf, the, the lube just made it so much easier to get started and you're away. And you've mentioned that you had some Peroni's disease, some angulation. Yes. So you've also mentioned that the shockwaves seem to help with that. Uh, no doubt about help with that. Um, it was it was not large as we spoke about, mm. but where it was, it was like a hinge. So <clears throat> unless you had injected and you had a firm penis, um, it would bend at that point. So no matter what you tried to do, it was it was always going to be a stuffy or worse than a stuffy. Yeah. Um, even sometimes with a needle on a lower dose, you could feel that it was trying to bend at that point. And uh, since the shockwave therapy, there's um, there's no no hinging, no no bending, if you like, when you're trying to to make love. Um, and the curve in the penis not noticeable whatsoever. Oh, that's terrific. Mm. Yeah. yeah, it's great. So it's tick tick tick, really. So Joe, can I just ask you? And this is just purely anecdotal of the patients that I've sent to you for shockwave. Yeah. But it seems like the ones that are further in their recovery of prostate treatment do better with the shockwave. Yeah. Or is that just my, my anecdotal? No, that's my observation absolutely as well. So I, my very first patient was um, one of the podcasts recorded. I can't think of the... Um, I'll have a look what while number you're it is talking. Right now. I think yep. it might be number seven or something quite early on, um, where my first ever patient was three and a half years after his radical prostatectomy in the middle of treatment. There was an erection and he was quite mortified and I said, don't worry, this is like science in, in the happening, you mm. know. Um, Confirmation. Yeah, mm. so I actually saw him again um, last weekend. He... he Likes to come in about every three months and have another couple of sessions just to top up because he says things just keep on getting improvement. He wakes up morning, noon, night <laughs> um, with woods, as you, you say. Yes, yeah. uh, so I then th- got very enthusiastic about this response. So I started trialling it on men who were much earlier in the post-surgical, post-prostatectomy um, timeline and found that it wasn't working. Um, so then I basically decided not to treat anyone before six months. And there's some research going on at the moment, which hopefully will be finishing up soon. And they're actually trialling it on men early. And I'm a little bit concerned that it won't come up with um, too many positive outcomes. And this, I think, is because the shockwave actually works on the nerve as well as the blood um, formation in the area. So they call it a process of pro inflammatory and angiogenesis so normally if we have an injury have tissue change we provide people with anti-inflammatories or massage or things like that and that that can be relieving short term but with the shockwave we're actually trying to induce like a an inflammatory response so the body comes into that area that's been affected brings in fresh oxygenated blood flow and brings in um, body's own immune response to try and help proliferate the uh, healing process that would normally hurt like a super turbocharged mm-hmm. dose and and then from one week to the next there seems to be quite a significant improvement and even sensation so I might put the shockwave on at a very high um, level intensity initially and the next next week the guys come back and I have to drop it right down because in that week of tissue healing and tissue change yep. there's actually been a improvement and that's been an interesting observation. But, yes, 100% Melissa, I'm thinking that we need to pick the time right for these um, patients. And six months is probably the minimum time which which I would expect 
guys to get a response post-operatively from um, shockwave therapy. And it is really worthwhile doing that initial block of six six sessions and then maybe leaving it for a month to let things settle and then maybe another block of six. So I'm still working out a protocol. Uh, but like everything, there's no one-size-fits-all. So I'm tending more to be a bit more uh, individually designing programs. So, what, yeah. Now, question for me. With the, the focal shockwave, you talk about the protocol. The, we've, we've done two, we've done six. Is, is there merit in monthly, three-monthly, coming in for a couple of booster shots or not? I reckon it might be. That's all yet to be seen. Like I'm developing it through case studies yeah. really. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, if you've had this sort of response, it may well be worth having another block of six um, with like a three-month gap yep. from the previous just to see if we can get that 65 to 85 sort of yep. thing. I, I can't promise anything because it's all I'm happy still to, emerging. But yeah. um, Happy to play the if game. If you've had a response, a positive response, I think it's really worthwhile until you get to satisfaction. And I get mm. guys say to me, I've had enough now, I'm perfect, or I've had enough now, I don't think... I've made any progress in the last month or so. And so I have a, a discussion and and just say, look, the door's always open if you want to have yep. any follow-up treatment. And um, I think for, you know, for me the point comes when um, you notice that it's not working again or not working like it um, it's come back to be. Mm. Uh, and, you know, if it's not going to work, well, then you make the decision, do you stick with the needles, where's your headspace at? Or do you come back and try the natural? But it's um, it's such a nice, nice feeling after the three and a half years and being told it's unlikely to for it to occur. You know, just that that first time was really a wow moment. Mm. Yeah. Oh, that's great. All your birthdays come at once, literally, <laughs> like your first time almost. <laughs> that's fantastic. And I have to say, shockwave is not going to work for everyone. Oh, and understand. Um, but it is worthwhile giving it. I would say give it the six sessions, mm. and um, then we can pull up stumps or not yeah mm. so is there any thank you so much ron i really appreciate you well we both do coming in and being so honest um is there anything else as a takeaway you'd like to tell listeners or have you told them no, only really the core part of in between of everything i've said and that is that you know trust these people because um your worst fears won't come to to light <laughs> Um, you can only benefit from the treatment and the exercise. Um, so put your fears away and uh, confront the, the thing that's stopping you from getting there, that um, they're good people they're, and they can be trusted and they look after you well. Good. And so that's Mia, Joe, and Melissa. And if you don't live in Western Australia, then I'm sure there's people like us and there's other people like us definitely in Western Australia that you can find to help you. So, you know, just even if you want to reach out, we can probably give you an idea of someone out there that's near uh, you. Yeah, and I'm actually running a course in this um, in London in a couple of weeks' time. So there's a developing body of um, physios that are picking up shockwaves. So I've got colleagues in Sydney, uh, you know, Australia, um, someone in Canberra now. So there's certainly development of that and then if anyone wants to look up Jared Green in the London Men's Health Clinic if you're in the UK um, there's definitely uh, an evolving population there. Now I've just got one more question for you Ron. Shoot. You've been 
open with us very much about the black dog visiting you from time to time. And I'm always wondering how much these physical um, symptoms and the resolution of them have helped maybe minimise that or reduce that mood aspect of things. It, it's something that we often like under address, I think. Mm. Look, I, yeah, I understand what you're saying. Um, best way I can answer that is the timeline. So our wow moment was August of last year. I've been medicated for depression for probably the last two years, Valdoxin. Um, I found it necessary to increase that dose to 50 mils oh, mid through last year. So I was on the journey of the black dog and trying desperately to stay away from him. Uh, so it was with me when we had our wow moment is what yeah. I'm trying to say. Yeah. Around Christmas time, um, I had a really, really bad time with the black dog. Okay, yep. Um, to the point where I had to, and it was part of what I've learned out of working with you guys, and that is um, Melissa suggested to me quite some time ago, Ron, do you, maybe you need to see a counsellor. Yeah. So I um, went in to see a psychologist and I've had four or five sessions with him. Um I know where my demons are now, yeah, um, yeah, and that's been quite beneficial. I've wound back on my Valdoxin to twenty-five mils, and while my wife will say I'm testy, yeah, I feel okay. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's a matter of you know, perspective, and um, uh, it, it's it's a constant companion. Unfortunately, I don't. I look forward and say, well, I'd like to be able to get rid of the black dog, and and that's the next thing I suppose to work on more. So put more energy into than. Um, uh, penile recovery, and we'll do that with uh, with the psychologist. Um, but I'd I'd always I suppose up until my need at this time, I knew it was out of my depth to be able to do anything about it. This time it was it was despair, okay. and I needed external help, and mm. um, I've got it. Mm. Mm. Do you know? Interestingly enough, I think, and this is just from the outside looking in, and I'd be curious to think what you think about this, but. Do you feel like maybe having prostate cancer and that has kind of brought to the fore something that you may not have dealt with so openly or do you think you would have dealt with the black dog anyway? No, from what I've learned about my black dog, it's things that I buried 40 years ago mm. and um, I really gave that no time. If you know, I've, I've addressed that, it's put away. Where really, you know, with the work of the psychologist, I haven't dealt with it. I've put it away. I haven't dealt with it. So... The prostate coming along, no, it wasn't a trigger. It wasn't the can opener. It wasn't the leverage that caused it to get worse. It was other things around it. You, know, you carry another weight with you in terms of um, the recovery of the, the prostate surgery. So the first one being the incontinence and, shit, this is not working and the frustration, the despair that comes with that, the anger, um, the uh, and the all shit moments. You know, and the best way I explain that is... Um, you do your exercises, you have some degree of control of your bladder. You don't do them, you lose that control. Yeah. So mm-hmm. it's, you know, the, the yeah. tenseness comes with that. The yoga has taken that away. Great. The yoga also gives you that time of um, the relaxation. And during my Christmas uh, visit to the black dog, um, I continued with the yoga. And there's one session I went there, went to there in about the second week of, of my journey from the black dog. Um before I'd seen the psychologist and it was the first one hour that I had mentally free of the baggage 
and mm. um, I walked out of the, the studio that night going, yeah, okay, I know where this this is helping me. Mm-hmm. But the relief that that gave me gave me hope then in we can get on top of this. That's yeah. great. And yeah. I know, I, I agree, I think um, yoga is amazing for your mental health and obviously Jo's a yoga instructor so she's very positive about this. And I know, like, my husband loves yoga and went for like years and years and years and then stopped for a couple of years and there was a definite change in his calmness maybe mm. until he went back to it. So I think it – and I think it's becoming more common for men but it's traditionally, you know, was seen in not something an Aussie bloke did but I think it's a yeah. great thing to do. So thank you again so much for sharing with us. And um, and I'll give Prosta plug plug now. I do actually have a yoga DVD and USB available called Yoga for Men through the prost.com.au website. So um, something I did five years ago now, but it was just to get men introducing themselves to yoga because it's always been a bit of a stigma. But Ron, you're like the perfect man here. <laughs> <laughs> you're talking about yoga, pelvic floor, your sexual function. Shocking the penis. I mean, thank you. <laughs> but it's okay. But look, I wouldn't have been on those pathways if it wasn't for the three of you collectively, bottom line. Great. Thank you so much. It's been lovely as always to chat to you. Pleasure. Have a go. <laughs> I'm going to tell you about a boy who lives inside me. He's been there all of my life. Hi, this is Dr. Joe. Thank you so much for listening to our podcast. We're getting so many emails, so many questions and so much feedback. And Melissa and I are absolutely thrilled about this. What we'd really love you to do, though, is to share our podcast with anyone you think might benefit, including any man in your life. Simply download using your favourite podcast app or subscribe to the penisproject.org. You'll get a weekly email and new releases. And this helps our podcast to get more people. And if you write a review and subscribe as well, well, we'll get known more widely across the globe. Meanwhile, let's keep the conversation going. Women, just a mystery to me. I've got a boy of my own now. It fills me with pride to see him growing so fast into a man.